Are you ready for a travel adventure? How about an exciting trip to Venice or an exhilarating experience in Bangkok? Maybe you were more about a culinary adventure in Barcelona or just a relaxing day cruising the canals of Amsterdam. Join the Professor Travel as he invites you on an epic excursion, one that has you traveling the globe with him. Come and experience a world of culture, a world of history and architecture, a world of food and experiences to broaden your mind and save you time and money as you travel. Learn more, discuss more, travel more, and enjoy life more. And now your host, The Professor Travel. Greetings, students, and welcome to this episode of The Professor Travel. I am your host, The Professor Travel, coming to you from Orange County, California. This is the website, the vlog, and the podcast that you go to in order to learn more about different travel destinations. This is where you go in order to discuss them as a community. Hopefully, this will inspire you to travel more and ultimately enjoy life more. Now, you can reach me on a variety of different social media, but first and foremost, find my website at theprofessortravel.com. You can also find me on both YouTube and Facebook at The Professor Travel. I'm also now available on TikTok for all you millennials out there at, <laughs> at The Professor Travel. Uh, if you're on Instagram, you can find me at the underscore professor underscore travel. If you're on Twitter, you can find me there at The Professor TR1. And then finally, if you're a blogger, you can find me on theprofessortravel.blogspot.com. Today, I have an amazing visiting professor. Uh, I would like to introduce you to Kabir, uh, who is also known as Cruise Director Kabir. Kabir, how are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks so much for having me on, Scott. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. It's not often that I get a member of the crew in order to be able to talk with about a variety of different things. And I thought, given the topic that we were looking at today, you would be one of the best people to have a conversation with about this. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. No, I'm glad to be here. It's going to be a great time. And uh, I'm an, just an avid uh, cruiser as well as I am a member of the crew. That's actually how I got introduced to the job. So if anybody wants to talk ships or cruise ships, I'm your man. <laughs> thank you so much. And we're going to get into your podcast at the end of this because I want people to be able to find that too. So thank you so much. Now, before we get started, can you tell uh, the viewers, that are, which are my students, uh, the information about maybe some of your credentials, uh, maybe some of your educational background, and maybe some places that you've traveled? Cool. So I actually went to school in uh, just outside of Toronto in Canada. I'm Canadian, I was born here. And uh, so I went to school for journalism and TV production. I have also had my own TV talk show before, and I started in the travel industry in February 2015. So we're going just past five years now. I've been cruise director for three years. Uh, and uh, I've, I've always been in the creative space, I've always been in the performance space. I have a specialized high school diploma in vocal music, so I'm a musician as well. So this role is the best uh, culmination of all these things. It kind of combines a bit of presentation on stage, on camera, as well as what I crave, which is kind of the leadership uh, element of things. So it's an absolutely perfect mix for me. Well, and you've had an opportunity to be a cruise director for a couple of different brands that are out there. And we don't necessarily need to go into each of those brands. But um, for the purpose of that, it, the two most visible people on ships typically are the captain and the cruise director. Am I correct on that? That is correct. You'll mostly see the cruise director out and about. I mean, it's my job to host the voyage as well as oversee all the entertainment and the guest flow around the ship. And the captain, of course, I mean, he's driving, so he oversees all of it. <laughs> Uh, so typically, you'll see, and you'll see a lot of announcements between myself and the captain. It's it's a really good relationship. Excellent. Now, the topic we're going to be discussing today that I thought you would be really helpful with getting some information on is primarily about what to do on a sea day because. 
there are a lot of really great cruises out there, including transatlantic cruises, repositioning cruises, um, or even extended cruises that have some some really built-in sea days. You know, sometimes there'll be three, five days, whatever the case may be. And a lot of the students that I have, as well as my husband, and that's incidentally, would like to know more about what to do on those. So as we get into that topic today, I think we're going to talk about some misconceptions and we'll talk about how this whole breaks down. So are you ready to go? I am 100% ready. Let's go. Awesome, man. Okay. So let's start by talking about some misconceptions. Now, when people think in terms of these Transatlantics, these uh, at sea days, these uh, uh, transitioning cruises—they're—they're in, they're in the process of thinking about that. There's not really anything to do on, on this cruise except for sit in the sun, maybe go in the pool, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about maybe where that misconception is versus the reality. <laughs> well, it depends. A lot of this varies from cruise line to cruise line, and it varies on the type of cruiser that you are. So. If you're a very involved cruiser, you're going to want to get involved with as many activities as there are that are on the ship. Some ships offer more than others. You'll find that higher-end ships, smaller ships, your Silver Seas, Seabourn, Oceana, they'll have less daytime activities because it's more about the relaxation, the spa experience, the pampering, versus cruise lines like Royal Caribbean, Carnival, NCL, where you want to get up and go, and there's a game show or trivia or a dance class or some sort of informative seminar constantly going on. The biggest misconception about cruises is that they're boring and that they're for old people, which is not the case anymore. But, and I'm sure you've, you've done many cruises, I'm sure Scott. So you would definitely be able to speak to that. (laughs) Yeah. In fact, one of the things I was, I was noting is my first cruise, by the way, was in 1983 on the carnival Tropical up in Alaska. And at that time, it wasn't like Carnival is today because today they're known as the fun ships and they have so many different activities and things to do. I was a 11-year-old child <laughs> at that time and I was one of three kids on that ship. Today, the whole game plan has completely changed. The whole game plan is completely different. And this is the other thing, you know, you have to be careful when you're booking a cruise or and understanding what type of line you're going with, but also the time of year. If you're cruising in the summer on Norwegian Cruise Line on a seven-day cruise in the Mediterranean, you can expect there's going to be a lot of kids. But if you're cruising in the third or fourth week in September, you're one of the final cruises in the Med, that's a much different time to go. So if you're an older couple and you're looking to do something a little bit more low-key, that would be the time of the year. If you're an adventurous couple that doesn't really care, then go in the middle of the summer and enjoy yourself. Have a great time. Um, so, you know, that's that's amazing that you cruised on the Tropical, though. Um, I believe yeah. she's actually still kicking. She's uh, she's still around because she is the Peace Boats, I think. It's a Japanese company that runs it now. Oh, wow. I did not know that. That was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm going to have to check into that. <laughs> so I've been cruising for a while, as you can see. <laughs> but my, my mom used to be in the travel industry, so that's how I kind of got a little bit of a thing at the beginning part of that process. So let's talk about making the most of your shore time. Obviously, if you're going to go on a cruise where there's a lot of um, at-sea days, you probably want to make the most of the time that you have on shore first. So let's talk really quickly about maybe doing stuff prior to embarkation and making sure that we get some basic ideas on that. For sure. So the biggest thing about uh, a cruise, if we're talking specifically also about transatlantics versus regular cruises and in terms of what short excursions you should be doing, um, the two cruises themselves are vastly different in terms of the amount of shore time they're going to have in 
one region of the world in the Mediterranean, you're, you can expect to have longer days in port. You can expect to have more frequent ports versus in the Caribbean or in other regions. You can expect those ports to, to vary. Certain cruise lines like sea days more than others. Royal Caribbean loves a good sea day and they throw a great sea day versus a cruise line like TUI or Morella Cruises. They do a very, very port intensive itineraries and they eliminate sea days down to one per week, which is pretty incredible. Wow. Making the most of your, your port day, it's pretty simple. There are two ways you can go about booking a shore excursion. One, you go on board and you book it. That's the safest, easiest way to do it. A lot of cruise lines have guarantees where something's delayed, something's wrong. They're going to pick you up and take you back to the ship and the ship will wait. But in addition to that, a lot of those tours have been tried and tested. There's, I don't want anybody to think that there's something wrong with booking a tour through the ship because it's more expensive. And it is more expensive. It has to be more expensive. Um, to cut costs off of a tour from a ship is very, very difficult. But then you have uh, websites like cruisingexcursions.com. You have a couple of other sources as well that you can book them uh, before you get off the ship. But if your ship misses port and all this other stuff, it's just a lot harder to rearrange. So yeah. making the most of your shore time, I would always say book an excursion, but it also depends on where you are. If you're in the Caribbean, go with a shore excursion. If you're in the Mediterranean, you don't always need to book a shore excursion. A lot of those cities are accessible using an app on your phone that can map out a route for you if you're capable enough of doing it. Hmm. And a lot of the time that can actually be more enjoyable depending on what you want. If you don't want to be in a tour bus and you want to take public transit, I mean, that's your own prerogative. So making the most of your shore time comes down to either booking a shore excursion from the ship or figuring out if you want to do it yourself based on the region. That makes sense. Uh, let's talk really quick about embarkation day because, uh, again, going back to misconceptions, the misconception is, okay, it's going to take me so much time on embarkation day. I'm not going to have a lot of time to do any type of thing on the ship. I, I don't even know what to do on a ship on that day other than unpack my bags, maybe eat dinner, and then go for a drink, maybe try the casino, and then I'm done for the entire night. It, what can one do during an embarkation day? I mean, what kind of activities are there available when you get started? Your embarkation day sets the tone of your entire cruise. So for me, like, I, funny enough, I actually just posted this in my Instagram story. What's the first thing that you think Kabir would do when he gets on a cruise ship? And the correct answer, I mean, this is an absolute spoiler. Uh, the correct answer is I go and explore the ship. Mm. Uh, I will usually, I, I'm horrible. I'm a horrible guest because I will go <laughs> straight to the cabin. I don't, I don't read the signs. I don't care what the signs say. I just want to put my bags in the cabin. I'm not killing anybody. Like, just let me put my bag in the cabin and then go explore the ship. So I'll always disregard the signs and do that. Um, but the most of your embarkation day, drop off your bags, go and get a drink. And a lot of the ship is open for free tours and free samples. The spa is giving away free stuff. There's usually a ton of raffles and things like that to be given away. But most importantly... Don't miss the sail away party on deck. It's always, <laughs> seriously, it's always the best time. And if you don't want to go to the sail away party, I understand that not everybody wants to go. I'm not, I'm not that cruise director that's like, come here, come here, come here. I will always say, you know what, this is where the party is. If you don't want the party, go to, go to the sky lounge, go to the dome, go to, you know, go to that forward lounge to watch the ship sail. But your embarkation day, I mean, do that, do the drill, go take a nap and get ready for the evening. I was going to say, take it I was going to say the mustard drill is one of the things that you absolutely have to do on the first day so that you can't just... You know, I, I like, I like, I, I enjoy the mustard drill. Um, mostly I just like 
I, I find it very interesting because I'm on the bridge usually reading the script and mm-hmm. there's so much going on in terms of getting ready for departure and things like that. So it's, for me, it's the highlight of my day, funny enough. <laughs> but that evening, that first show where it kind of feels, in some ways, it's not like the first day of school, but you know, the, the curtains go up, the cast is up, they do their show and then you meet the CD on stage. So in a lot of ways, that traditional blanket of cruising, that first night that centers around that show... That's been the same since the early days of cruising. And it's something that I don't really see going away. Um, from Embarkation Day, what, we've, what, we've, what the industry is leaving behind is that welcome aboard style show. So that show that you know, has Carnival used to have the fun on stage um, and, I, and the bumpers, the cast bumpers, that stuff you're seeing less and less of. You're seeing more production shows, which is good. Um, but yeah, Embarkation Day, take a nap. And don't go to sleep early. Don't stay up all day. <laughs> Seriously, don't take a nap in the afternoon for an hour or two and then go out and do stuff uh, in the evening. Don't sleep early because that first night, I'll tell you, I planned it pretty heavily that evening because we want to make sure we're covering our bases for everyone to set the tone. What, what time do they usually want or what time do you usually plan when you're, when you're planning out the activities to ramp up about like 12, 2 a.m., something like that in that range? Do you mean ramp up or kind of kind of close down? Kind of close down. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So to close down, uh, you know what? Usually I aim for about the one o'clock mark. Uh, I have been on ships where I've been pushed to put it to two, and that's great. Mm-hmm. But you'll find that the one o'clock mark is a pretty young time. So if you're on a cruise that's a bit... Uh, a bit more senior, you'll find that time is closer to 11. Like if longer cruises, if it's a longer cruise, you can expect things to end earlier just because the clientele is a little bit older. And you know what? I like it. I think it's relaxing. Absolutely. And then finally, let's talk really quick uh, as far as this topic goes. Disembarkation. Um, that day, what, it, it, are there any activities to really do on that day or are you just pretty much getting ready to get off the ship? Very interesting question. Now, a lot of cruise lines now, depending on the company that you're with, will have an activity schedule, but that's more so for the back-to-back guests. So we'll, we'll usually be more evening heavy or afternoon heavy on that. So for example, um, a lot of the cruise lines I work with will have, let's say, five or 600 back-to-back guests going on that second week of the cruise. So they're doing a 14-day cruise. Hmm. So in the morning, we won't have too, too much because it's mostly people leaving the ship. Uh, and then by the afternoon, by about 12, we'll have a musician on deck. We might have the odd trivia. Uh, but also remember, for the crew that day, everybody's focused on getting most of these guests on because the majority of guests are embarking the ship. So there's a lot more emphasis on that process. And so you'll find the evenings a lot heavier. That makes perfect sense. Also, let's talk really quick about the length of activity on the ships or or length of the cruise impacting that level of activity. I was talking to you just before we started recording about a cruise I was looking to take um, at the end of this year, which obviously is going to probably have to be pushed to next year because of the length of the cruise. Um, Sorry, everybody's plans have been a little bit mustered by this. Um, but that was a 35-day cruise. And a good portion of that had a lot of at-sea days because you're going from places like India to the Maldives, to then from there in the Seychelles to Madag- to like uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, uh, South Africa. And so when you're going on a cruise like that, there are going to be those like four or five at-sea days as opposed to a cruise where you might just have one. Talk to us about... 
like, what do you look at as far as being a cruise director interpreting activities for large amounts of sea days versus a small amount of sea days? This was a really good lesson for me when I was down in Australia, because I mean, Australia is a beautiful place, but, uh, there's not a lot of stuff around it. Uh, it's, it's quite isolated and it does take a lot of time. So for, for example, the cruises that we had going up to Singapore or going to Fiji, those did have a lot of sea days at the end of the day. And when I'm planning a cruise, I'm looking at the overall flow, but I'm also usually running on a 14 day cycle because I don't like to repeat things. And I actually, even amongst my team, I prefer to keep things as fresh as possible. We'll usually do something a couple of times and then it needs to be changed because for the crew, I don't want it to get stagnant. And I always want people to feel like, okay, it's live entertainment. It's like a, it's like a theater. It's like going to your town theater. It should be different. It is. It's true. It is. Um, when you're planning a four-day cruise, you'll find that those cruises usually have one sea day. Um, that one sea day, everything gets put in. You'll have your afternoon game show in the theater. You'll have as many dance classes as can be put on. Every single trivia, we will put our best and brightest into that day. The longer the cruise, especially if it's the same ship running now, you know, it's on a four-day cruise. Now it's doing a seven or a 10-day we're going to spread out that content a little bit more. So you'll find it to be heavier toward the end of the cruise. The beginning of the cruise is a little bit lighter, which I think is great because it allows people to settle in. On longer cruises, people aren't quite as forced feeling to go and do everything. On those cruises, everything's a bit more subdued. You can't really push as hard and you don't want to push as hard. So you'll find that that's the biggest variation is I will put most of our primary stuff toward the end of the voyage um, versus on a shorter cruise where we'd even it out a bit more. Is there like, when you're looking at it from a cruise director's perspective, are you looking at saying, I want to build up like this huge crescendo at the end and make them like have like the biggest bang? Or is it one of those things where you're like kind of wanting to kind of just space it out as, as like, do you have a preference? I have a preference. I definitely, I don't like to just, you know, deprive everyone of good entertainment for the first half of the cruise and then put everything at the end. I'll, I'll, we'll even it out, but I will have one or two signature events that I'd like to keep for last. I've done, you know, a lip sync toward the end of the cruise because that's just always an absolute riot. Uh, if we have a talent show, crew talent show, we'll usually put that toward the end. Our production shows, um, well, all production shows on ships, I have incredible respect for because there's a ton of engineering and work that needs to go into them. Some shows are better than others. We know that. So you'll usually find that the better show or the best show is on one of the final nights of the cruise. Not to say that the first night show is worse. It's just different. It's, if it's a bigger production, for example, the set pieces are bigger, the costumes are bigger, we'll usually put that toward the end because at the end of the day, we, we know that people are going to remember their holiday experience from the end of it less so the beginning. So that's also the memory that I really want people to take home. I want, I, you save the best for last. Absolutely. And that makes perfect sense. Let's also have a moment to talk about travel culture. Now, when you're looking at different events, and one of the things I was, I was looking at this last year was a Cunard cruise that had, I want to say New York Fashion Week on the cruise itself. So you're going across from New York to, I think it was London. And as part of that whole process, they had it to where like every day they would do like a runway show or something like that. I mean, you get these different types of themed events all the way through this process. So talk to me about like, like 
some of these examples I gave on the screen, you know, like whether it's a religious and spiritual event, um, whether it's an art show that they have on board, uh, language seminars, uh, uh, like a, you know, things like that. What are your, what are your thoughts and what have you seen already in the past? So when it comes to religion and spirituality, that's something that, uh, across the, across the board, I think the cruise lines want to keep things as neutral as possible. So you'll see religious services and I do get requests for religious services, but we try and be as respectful as we can to everybody because the last thing we want is, you know, promoting uh, one faith over another or how things are perceived. I think that's a very sensitive subject for a lot of people. So you'll find most cruise lines stay away from that. Cruise lines that used to have chapels on board, Costa, a lot of their ships have chapels. You'll find that that trend has kind of gone away. Most new cruise ships uh, made in the last 10 years or so have shied away from putting chapels on board. However, there can be large events, Christmas, for example, those are some of our most expensive cruises of the year, the most desirable to go on. We get a lot of art lecturers on our ships, a lot of people that talk about ports specifically. When I was down in Australia, we had a lot of people talking about the Great Barrier Reef. We usually had a a Great Barrier Reef pilot come on board the ship and talk about what the marine life is like, what what, uh, do ships do in order to navigate through, what sort of procedures are there to assist. So that was really cool. I know that Celebrity had, years ago, they had a series called Beyond the Podium that was great. So they would, for especially transatlantics, we'd bring on guest speakers to come and talk to us about, okay, tell me about Titanic's voyage. Tell me about ocean navigation and planning. Tell me about the ports that we're going to. Mm. So those things you'll find, especially on longer cruises, there's a large focus on that. I don't see as many language classes as I'd like. I think that's something that is coming, but it also is dependent on the crew that's on board. So if you have a member of the activities team that speaks Spanish, I mean, more than likely they would do a Spanish seminar because, I mean, who doesn't want to learn a language on holiday? <laughs> just a couple of words. It's just cool to say, oh, I was, you know, there was this enrichment activity and I, I just went and learned, you know, four sentences of Spanish uh, for an hour, you know. Um, now, I'd like to talk a bit about food. one of my favorite subjects food uh on ships i mean you go on a ship to have good food at the end of the day and you are hard pressed nowadays to find a cruise line with quote-unquote bad food it's it's impossible to find a cruise line that has overall bad food i've never had bad food i've traveled across 12 different cruise lines uh and done over 30 cruises never had bad food (laughs) but the type of food that you eat is going to impact the type of activities that you're going to want to do. Uh, And if you're going on a shore excursion, you better eat light because if you have a big heavy breakfast, you know, it will slow you down. So it's definitely something to look at. Uh, And then even looking at active lifestyles on ships, like moving on from that, Royal Caribbean, NCL are two of the top major lines for having activities that are focused around sports on their ships. Quantum Class has the Sportsplex now, which is amazing with their acrobats, uh, the acrobatics. Norwegian Cruise Line's always been a little focused with those rock climbing walls. As soon as Royal did it, I know the NCL was like, oh, we should put this on our ships too. <laughs> and, but they were, it, it was good because I think it, it utilized that space behind the funnel really well. Most Norwegian Cruise Line ships have that feature uh, and they've, they've really made it a thing. Um, so Sports and Recreation... It does depend on the cruise. Look, you're not going to go on Holland America Line to find impressive sports courses. You know, I mean, 
it's a different type of clientele. No, so, and, and, and but it also, I mean, there are certain things that they've like completely gone away from. Like I remember, again, this goes back way to the 1980s. So I mean, again, uh, but I remember when they used to golf off ships. I remember when they used to do like, like shooting off ships, you know, with like uh, the clay pigeons and stuff like that. So, I mean, this is, <laughs> I'm dating myself right now, but it's like, Hey, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, you don't see stuff like that anywhere, but they still have like a, a lot of walking and running. You specifically, I see uh, like exercise classes that you're the one who actually initiates them. And I see you with like all the people who do that. And they seem like they're all having a fantastic time. <laughs> you know, I love my signature dance class. Speaking of which, if you ever want to catch a signature dance class, you can find them on my Instagram page. I do them every single week. Um, so it's Kabir's signature Bollywood dance class that, you know what? It's a little bit of a taste of home. Like my childhood was watching Bollywood movies with my parents. Um, you know, we, I was born here. My parents were practically born here as well, but we still kept that part of the culture alive. So for me, I'm just... <laughs> Honestly, I'm doing a dance workout and whoever wants to come can come. <laughs> um, it's great. So it's, it's tons of fun. And I, I was a personal trainer as well before I was on ship. So I am certified. I'm not just randomly up there, just, you know, shaking my tush. It's, uh, <laughs> it is choreographed. It is, you know, it is curated, but um, yeah, that's a big part of the ship. And that is the amount of active stuff that's happening on the ship really varies from cruise line to cruise line and it varies from cruise director to cruise director. I know Royal Caribbean has specific sports staff. Carnival does as well on their Vista class and I think on Breeze Dream as well. Um, they've got dedicated people just for sports. So does PNO Australia, I know. So different cruise lines have a lot of different stuff in terms of staying active. It's not just a sedentary thing anymore. You can go on a ship and jump around as much as you want. <laughs> Uh, I, I do want to circle back really quick to the my favorite topic, the food, um, just because there's one thing I don't think that we made mention of. And, and again, you did a great job by talking about the importance of uh, understanding how the activity relates to your food intake. But at the same time, keep in mind, your level of health is also dependent upon your food intake too. Meaning that if you have a normal diet at home and you come onto a cruise ship and just binge, it's not going to do you any good. So please be mindful. The temptation is going to be there. But if you want to be able to go and do the shore excursions, if you want to be able to do the level of activity that you have on the ship, please be mindful of that, you know, just going forward. This goes out to all my students out there as, as a best practice. Um, finally, one other thing. Um, now, you mentioned the Christmas holiday is one of the biggest ones. But are there other holidays that are celebrated on board the ship with a fairly regular basis? New Year's is another massive one as well. Every single ship will do a massive New Year's bash. Uh, you can see, actually, funny enough, in the Southern Hemisphere, they do uh, Christmas in July. That's mm -hmm. celebrated on all those ships, which is kind of, it's really weird. I won't lie. It's like a half, <laughs> it's a half Christmas at the end of the day. Uh, I think I, the first time I saw it, when I was based out of Brisbane, I was like, what is this? And they were like, oh, no, mate, we got to do, um, you know, some great... Uh, Christmas in July celebrations. And I was like, okay, we, I need some sort of a guide on this. This is new to me. <laughs> um, you know, I'm trying to think of other things that come up throughout the year. Uh, you'll see a lot of 4th of July stuff uh, on especially American ships as well. So, you know, overall, I think the biggest ones are Christmas and New Year's and regionally it'll change. 
Absolutely. Um, speaking of activities, let's talk about the populations. Um, now, obviously, you may mention that uh, you know certain cruise lines cater to certain people. If you look at it, say a carnival or a Disney cruise, they're probably going to have a lot more children than normal. Um, with Holland America, maybe Princess, you might find a little bit of an older crowd, um, and then you know you have other individuals that come on who might have size-related challenges as it relates to activities. And we don't want to necessarily disinclude anybody from taking activities. How do you address that as a cruise director if you have people that want to engage in those types of activities, you know, for purposes of safety? You know, this is something that's going to be interesting going forward. And I know we're going to touch on some points about the current situation down the line, but when it, every activity has its crowd, just like every TV show has its audience, every show has its audience. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect, um, for example, on Holland America line, I wouldn't expect my dance class to be absolutely packed, right? I mean, that's just not realistic based on the clientele. But when I'm trying to plan activities, I do look at the demographics. I look at the age on board and I look at the breakdown of where people are coming from. Some cruise lines are easier than others in terms of, you know, um, if you work for a cruise line that's based with a UK audience and they ha- they're a charter company, then they'll be flying their people in from the UK. Versus if I'm on Norwegian, based out of Miami, uh, I can have people driving into the port. I can have a lot of Hispanic or Spanish speakers. Um, I can have a lot of people that are younger families. So when you have that in the mix, that's something you have to think about. There's no activity. There's no one activity that's for everyone, except for our production shows. Please go and see the product. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Um, so there's, there's nothing wrong with self-promotion, by the way. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Please come see the production shows. Please come and cruise with me. I'd love to see you. Um, <laughs> just, just for me. Just come for me. Okay. Um, so, you know, when it comes to specific cruise lines, they're experts at it. Princess knows what their clientele likes and doesn't like. They've got their own structure as for playing trivia in Australia. Every single morning, they have a trivia with the cruise director in the theater. It's just a thing. They always do it. Um, you know, Norwegian Cruise Line had deal or no deal. And that was something that appealed to their clientele. So every cruise line's got its staple. You're right. Carnival and Disney, you'll find a ton more families. Celebrity cruises, you'll find couples, but their clientele is a little bit different from Holland and Princess, which we know they're slightly more distinguished couples on there, then you've got your Silver Sea Oceana Seaborne couples. So what activity is best for you? If you're looking for something active, there's always going to be something for you, whether it's run by the activities team or the spa. If you're looking for something like trivia, there's going to be trivia every single day. Um, and I think that variation exists on every ship. The amount varies on the cruise line. For example, celebrity cruises, they've got two activity hosts per ship on every single ship. Royal Caribbean, depending on your ship, you can have five up until 15 activity staff. MSC, it's the same thing. So this actually varies depending on the line, the amount of staff that they dedicate to it. Celebrity cruises didn't want to do the constant activities everywhere thing because that was more what Royal was doing. And as a sister brand, that's the decision they made, um, which fits the clientele. So all of these things are very, very curated, more curated than you'd think. It makes perfect sense, though. Um, speaking yeah. of activities, let's continue to talk about costs. Now, some activities are no cost. There's those that are low cost. There's There are those that are kind of a standard pricing if you want to be able to do that. And then there are those that are kind of a premium pricing. Talk to me about how the activities are arranged on the ships that you see. The activities 
so when we talk about activities, mm-hmm. in my head, I always think of it's the entertainment team running the activities. Trivia's, dance classes, game shows, ship production shows, things like that. That that is the entertainment of the ship. Whenever there's a cost involved, very very seldom will you see uh, a cost involved in something run by entertainment, the entertainment team on the ship, except for bingo, because bingo is just bingo. That's free reign on that one. But when it when it comes to low cost activities, those are your uh, your um, drink tastings, restaurant samplings, seminars on cooking, things like that that they can charge for. Usually they're at a low cost between five and fifteen dollars or pounds or or uh, euros depending on the cruise line that you're on. Yeah. Um, so that varies depending on the line and how many of them that they offer. Holland America line, prime example for them. I used to, uh, I cruised on the Koningsdam a couple of years ago and they had this brilliant wine tasting every evening. And I think it was $5 for two glasses of wine. And these were not, these were very liberally poured glasses of wine. They were not tiny. And, um, that was so, that to me was an activity that was wine tasting at a very reduced price. Then you have your high end activities and you've got your ropes courses, your, uh, you know, your activities on Royal Caribbean where, you know, you're uh, in the skydive for two hours. A lot of those things now have become low cost. So it's interesting seeing this trend of, you know, people want things to be more and more all inclusive. What the market's going to do after this year in terms of the lack of all-inclusive or more all-inclusive and higher ticket price, that's going to be interesting to see. But the trend up until this point was a lot more inclusive uh, pricing. Absolutely. And again, like not all ships are the same. So when we, t- when we think about the resources that are available on certain ships, you're going to have some ships that are smaller vessels where it's a more, how do I want to put it, more of a curated experience, I guess, would be the best way to look at it. Yeah, the smaller ships would be more of a boutique experience. Yeah. And then when you get into the midsize and larger vessels, especially when you get into, you know, the quantum classes or the, um, you know, classes. I mean, I don't even begin to understand how, you know, everything's wrangled on those ships. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what you're aware of in terms of resources that are available to those ships and and kind of what that looks like from from the perspective of a cruise director. So the smaller, there's only one of me, remember that. Um, And my job, look, my job is amazing. I love my job. It's by far not the most difficult job on the ship. However, it is in many ways the most visible. And I take pride in that visibility. And I also take pride in being able to plan something based on what I see and having the authority to do that and also be walking around basically as an officer. So for me, it's, it's a great mix of being able to impact change and, and change things right away just based on feedback that happens in real time. And that happens more often than you think. From one day to another, even on a cruise, oh, uh, the timing of the show wasn't quite right because dinner didn't let out until this time. We're finding longer dinner seatings. Fine. Then the show times are going to be shifted. Or the time of the deck party will move around. Uh, the timing of the first trivia being at 9 a.m. is too early. Let's move it to 10. So all these little things are things that we look at. The smaller the ship the easier it is for me to see each and every little thing. However, the larger the ship, uh, the more so that I'll rely on, on my team to be my eyes and ears. And it's a really, really great system overall. I love here, though, Scott, that you've written mid-sized vessels up until 3,999 because <laughs> that is what mid-size is now. Mid-size used to be half the size 
as it, as it is now. Um, you know, ships like the Volendam with Holland America line, its sister Pacific Aria with Pino Australia, those ships were considered midsize. Now they're considered small. So very, very different cruising experiences. However, I, I don't think that someone that cruises on Symphony of the Seas, if they went to a much smaller ship, I don't think they have a negative cruise experience. It's just different. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to larger vessels, uh, I actually feel weird speaking to this now because the capacity of these ships is not going to be full for the foreseeable future just based on physical distancing. So it's going to be interesting seeing how the cruise experience evolves from this and how a small ship experience and a big a big ship experience change. I can imagine that. And we're going to get into talking... <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything for the viewers, but I mean, we will definitely talk about COVID nineteen in just a couple of minutes. But let's also talk about time challenges. Now, I was making mention to you prior to this. You know, when I had a situation recently when I went on a cruise to from Rome to Venice, and one of our stops was in Croatia. It was very very hot there, and. I unfortunately came down with sunstroke and had to actually miss out on most of Slovenia for the next day. Um, so in terms of understanding how you use your days, whether it's a port day, whether it's another day, um, maybe having that excessive binge on one day, and unfortunately that takes you out for the next day, managing your time, whether it's more freeform and or working with the schedules, there's a lot of different variables that go into that. Talk to me in terms of what your thoughts are on that piece. When you book an excursion, you need to understand that there's full day and there's half day excursions. So if you're booking a full day excursion, you're going to be exhausted by the end of that. And you will want to go to the cabin and knock yourself out and maybe even miss dinner and miss the entire evening, which is not the way that you should be spending a holiday, in my opinion. I mean, there's far better ways of doing things. But if you do a half-day excursion, you'll find that maybe you'll have more energy and then you'll know what you want to see on your own for that afternoon. So you can say, let's go out again. We're going to do this on our own. When we have activities going on at the same time on the ship, it's a similar thing. Uh, I personally don't like to overlap too many things because it stresses me out as a guest. I find that when there's something happening at 1, 115, 120, 130, 140, it's a little bit intimidating. You're better off to have more events that are better curated and feature the team, the entertainment team as a whole. It's nice having every single person at a trivia or having more people interact because I think it creates a better bond with guests. So for the guests, when they cruise on the ship, when you come to cruise with me, hopefully on the ship, you'll see that we'll have as many activities as we can throughout the day, but we'll try and vary it in timing so that you can do as many of them as you want or as little of them as you want without overwhelming you. I think you bring up a really good point, Kabir. I think it's one of those things where if you if you impact so much onto your schedule, it's basically like you're going from work to work and then back to work after you're done with the cruise. So you know, a cruise to relax from the cruise. And that's also, you know, why the activities will reflect, I think, that level of um mindfulness of understanding that we don't want to overwhelm everyone. I'll do my morning meditation every single sea day. Uh, I'll do my dance class every single sea day. But what I'll also do is I'll create those as anchor points and try and keep the timing the same for as much as um, as much of the cruise as I can with 
those staple things, unless something needs to be changed based on feedback. So you'll know meditations every C day at nine, dance classes every day at 12, trivia is at 10, and the shows are at seven and nine. And then there's always something late night at 11. So you'll always be able to follow that. Excellent. I was going to save you know, the last point, but it actually moves us into resources. Talk to us about the different resources people have in order to kind of explore different activities on the ship. Well, uh, a lot of cruise lines now are coming out with their apps uh, or just a webpage that kind of shows you what's going on while you're on the ship using the ship's internet. And it's fantastic uh, in terms of communicating with each other, seeing what's going on. If I need to change something, I don't have to send 2,000 you know, documents to print to go to the cabins. It can all just go straight in through an app, which is absolutely fantastic. Carnival's got the Fun Hub, Royal's got Royal IQ, NCL's got the Concierge system. Uh, I know Tui Morella have uh, their system, Navigate. Piano Australia is working on one. So it's great to see that. Finding out about the activities, you know, the best way to find out about things is, honestly, is that back page of the ship's newsletter. And I'll always, even when I'm cruising, I'll go through and I'll highlight, I'll asterisk. Uh, and my parents, they, we always like to cruise together. They kind of just go, you know, doesn't this remind you of work? And I was like, it does. And I love it because I know <laughs> it does. And I want to go see, I'm like, Oh, how did they structure this? Oh, that's really, really nice. Isn't that, Oh, I'm going to take that idea or hmm, maybe that's something that uh, they can think about again. So it's really, really cool to be able to do that and to be able to have fun when I'm not at work but I am at work. If that makes sense. <laughs> you, yeah, it does. Do you ever have people that will constantly come up to you or your staff and say, Oh, you know, what's going on this time of day or, you know, and use you as a resource. Yes. And you know what? Uh, I always remember when I was younger, before I got into the role, I thought, how does, how do these people remember all of this information? And uh, we remember it because we write it. <laughs> uh, and it, not only that, you'll sometimes hear me say, ah, oh, this is at this time. There is it at this time. What day is it? Because I'm usually, I, I like to work very far ahead, but it does have, it does take its toll where I'll be planning the following cruise during the previous cruise. And even then I'll be two cruises ahead, but I'll be on the same day. I'll be on day three of the next cruise, but it's day three of this cruise. So it's just, it, it depends on the itinerary as well. So yeah, I do get asked a lot what's going on. And usually I always tell my teams, carry that uh, newspaper in your, in your back pocket, always. Excellent. Let's also talk about some of the travel programs that sometimes go on that encourage people to come on and do a lot of sea days. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is these casino offers that are often uh, promoted. Uh, and alternatively, you have group events or group, group specific, specific interests. Star Trek cruises is an example of something like that. Or uh, yeah. drag cruises, something like that. They can have a lot of different fun things that are going on. Um, special events. Talk to me about some of the things that you've seen in terms of different programs or different types of interests and activities that go on on the ships that might keep a person busy during those extended days. They have uh, a lot of different theme cruises now. I know that uh, versus Naughty's cruise this year, which should be running. Fingers crossed. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of that going on. Um, a lot of the cruise lines uh, now I'm seeing a lot of wine and cheese cruises or uh, comedy cruises as well. Yeah. So just where they get like, you know, 10 comedians on the ship and they've all got different shows going on throughout the day. And it is a comedy cruise. If you want to laugh, you go on the comedy cruise. Uh, there's, I've seen Zumba cruises before where people just get on board and do Zumba and go for it. Um, so when it comes to these theme cruises and incentives, uh, 
cruise lines will have incentives on booking. So they'll say, okay, if you book in advance uh, and you're on the ship right now, we'll give you X, Y, and Z credit. If you sign up for certain cruise lines, credit cards, I think Carnival has a credit card, if I'm not mistaken, they'll give you different incentives as well. If you are a shareholder and you have, I think for Royal and NCL and Carnival, if you have 100 shares or more oh. in the company, yeah, it's yeah. Norwegian, Norwegian Royal and uh, Carnival. I know I just purchased 100 shares of Norwegian. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got my shares in all my, all my companies as well. But uh, um, so if you have that, then you get specific benefits as well. You get onboard credit based on the duration of cruise and how much of the stock that you own. So uh, there, there are a lot of things. The, the, but if you're looking at these travel programs as an element of saving money, the travel programs themselves are not always associated with getting the best deal. Honestly, getting the best deal comes from the source of where you get your cruise pricing from and how direct you want to be. So if you use a travel agent, there's the chance to get some great onboard offers to get a great rate. But if you book directly with the cruise line, you get different offers that sometimes can outbeat a travel agent or vice versa. So if you're looking at a travel program in order to save money, that's not your only resource to getting the best deal. That makes sense. Now, finally, and we, we knew this was coming up. We alluded to it earlier in uh, in the vlog and podcast. Yeah, health. Now, up to this point, neurovirus seemed to be the biggest thing that was challenging uh, throughout the cruise industry, and that was not as seriously as impactful as what we're seeing now with COVID nineteen. With the changes that are going to happen in terms of health protocols and some of the things specifically affecting your department, entertainment, what are some predictions that you're seeing coming up in terms of how your how your how your crew is going to interact with people, how the how the people are going to interact with each other? What are your thoughts on that? So this is going to impact not only just the hotel department of the ship, but also the overall running of it. This is going to impact the amount of contact that the bridge will have with the rest of the ship. It'll impact, you know, those key personnel that are in the engine room. There's probably going to be uh, a certain amount of distance that's going to be created on board in order to facilitate that. The biggest change that we're going to see, and remember, I'm, I'm speaking speculatively, speculatively, I'm so sorry, that word does not work for me. Um, I'm speaking prior to having the full information. So I'm just speculating here. But we're going to see, I think, uh, big gaps in between seats in the theater, especially there are a lot of ships that have the bench style seating. I think you'll see some signage on there. I know that on Celebrity Solstice class, they've got actual seat seats, including, you know, same thing in um, on Cunard's Planetarium. They're going to have to limit that seating. Ships are going to be limited in capacity. But most importantly, the health protocols on ships, Royal Caribbean and NCL were fantastic at getting people to wash their hands and sanitize before they went into the buffet. Fantastic. Happy, happy, smiley, smiley, washy, washy, all that stuff. <laughs> Royal Caribbean uh, in dry dock on Navigator and Mariner of the Seas followed suit with what they did on Quantum Class with having all of the sinks and the basins to wash your hands before you go in and then having crew there to make sure that you washed your hands. That you can expect is going to be standard across the industry. Buffets are going to be more than likely serving you. Uh, changing the layout of a ship, changing the hardware of a ship is very difficult. So more so they're going to have to adapt in that way. 
we have uh, different levels of sanitation on the ship. So for example, if we have a norovirus outbreak, which does happen, uh, we have a specific code structure. It's you know green level, yellow level, red level. So you can anticipate ships will be operating in red level. That'll restrict the amount of people that can be in certain areas as well. So in many ways, look at cruising is going back to the way it was in the 70s and the 80s, where it felt a little bit more exclusive. The ship's not going to be as full. And you can tell when a ship is full, Scott. I'm sure you've been on a ship that's oh, yeah. that's been full before versus being on a ship that's not full. Um, and certain ships handle crowds better than others. But COVID-19 will modify cruising. It is not going to take away from the enjoyment that you've had in the past. It's just going to be a little bit different to get used to at the beginning. And uh, it's just a new normal. So I don't want people to be afraid. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one thing I, I, I'm trying to encourage my listeners to understand that, you know, whenever whenever you travel anywhere, and it doesn't matter whether it's on a cruise, on an airplane, on your in, in your car, there are risks associated with every type of travel that are out there. And appropriate risk management means understanding what you need to do, whether it's wearing a face mask, whether it's social distancing, whether it's... Um, letting the cruise ship dictate to you, the consumer, that, you know, you can no longer use those tongs in order to, you know, maybe get something in the buffet. Um, maybe if you're in the main dining room, uh, you have to, there's social distancing between uh, tables and stuff like that. So there's a lot of different things. I, I was recently uh, looking at, uh, I think uh, it's Genting Cruises over in Asia. I think yeah. that they put out some uh, pro- health protocols that I think a lot of the cruise lines are starting to look at. And uh, I, I, I'm not sure if they're leading the way, but I mean, there's some really good suggestions that are in there that I think we're going to probably see probably implemented across the industry if, if, if you would think that that might be correct as well. Genting is, uh, is an interesting line. They're Asia-based, uh, mostly around Shanghai, Singapore, and a couple of their ships, uh, I believe they had a, an affiliation with Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings yeah. at some point. Yeah. Because uh, they were known as uh, Dream Cruises at one point. And I know uh, that Norwegian... Spirit used to be Superstar Leo, which is part of another fleet there. So it's actually, they Genting operates uh, a breakaway class ship that is just their branded, their branding. And their health protocols there are going to be very stringent. They, and especially ports like Singapore and Shanghai, they're very difficult ports with how the cruise lines interact. They're very, very harsh with how they have sanitation protocols and they know you have to submit logs based on all that. I think more than anything from this, all you're going to see is an increased presence of D, uh, of basically fogging, which is when we have the machines that spray this cleaning liquid, you're going to see that, and increased presence of housekeeping on board. That, that's it. And limited contact. Please don't touch door handles if you don't have to. Uh, handrails are going to be an interesting thing, especially, you know, in rough seas. Do you touch the handrails or not? So, you know, it, it, it is true. Excellent. Well, Kabir, I really want to thank you so very much for enlightening my listeners, enlightening myself, and hopefully my husband, by the way, on all the different things associated with this. It's really been fun. I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for having me. Now, to find out more about Cruise Director Kabir, again, please follow him on Facebook and Instagram at Cruise Director Kabir and or he has a wonderful podcast, which I'm now starting to get addicted to. So thank you so much for doing that uh, called Keeping Afloat. I assume that's available on anywhere podcasts are available. Anywhere you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio Network, just check it out. Just search it and uh, it will come up. Or if you want to download the episodes directly, you can download them from cruisedirectorkabir.com. 
Thank you so very much. Now, for my students that are out there, if you have any questions or comments, let me know. I want to be more than happy to address those. Uh, you can send me an email at scott at theprofessortravel.com. If you're on YouTube and you would like to be notified when new videos come up, click the bell icon at the top of the screen. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. If you did like this video and you'd like to see more content, please give us a thumbs up. And then of course, if you're listening on any of the podcasts, by all means, we really do appreciate a high rating. It really does us a world of good. So thank you so much for that. Until next time, make every day a travel adventure. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye now. The Professor Travel is a broadcast from Orange County, California. A transcript of each podcast may be requested by contacting The Professor Travel at his website, theprofessortravel.com. For opportunities to work with The Professor Travel, feel free to contact Scott at theprofessortravel.com or contact us through YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook at The Professor Travel or Twitter at TheProfessorTR1. Make every day a great day to have a travel adventure.